We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome to After Dark in the Field of 68, where every single night from 11 o'clock till midnight, our crew brings you up to speed with everything you need to know about college hoops. I'm Jeff Goodman of Stadium here with the Miller brothers, Sean and Archie, who have 15 NCAA tournament appearances, I believe, guys, and, and five Elite Eights between them. Uh, Sean, the older guy, has four of those uh, <laughs> to break it all down. Well, he's older, so we'll give him that. Uh, we'll talk about tonight. North Carolina's latest embarrassing showing, Baylor snapping its longest losing streak in a couple of years, and Sean gushing about Bill Self. <laughs> this is our second night on Sirius XM, ESPNU Radio. And if you want to watch us, you can also find us in the Field of 68 on both YouTube and on Twitter. All right, guys, uh, let's dive into tonight's action. And we have a lot to get to, but we got to start with the Carolina uh, team in blue down there in Chapel Hill. And uh, this was awful. I mean, we listen, I was there when they got run by Tennessee at Mohegan Sun. Then they got run by Kentucky by 29 and lost to Notre Dame. But this one was the worst of them all. You know, they trailed by 27 and a half, the largest halftime deficit for the program in 25 years. Sean, what the hell is wrong with Carolina? Well, in tonight's game, Jeff, I think it's pretty straightforward. Their defense left them. And uh, Jeff Van Gundy once told me this a um, long time ago. Before you evaluate what they're doing well, scheme-wise, or what they can get better at, you first have to establish that you're playing with great effort. And I would say that before we can establish what Carolina's good or not good at on defense, tonight they didn't play with the effort needed to win. Starch. Can this be fixed? I mean, is it, again, effort is hard sometimes to all of a sudden get guys to turn it on, especially they've already been embarrassed. It's not like you can't go to them if you're first year head coach Hubert Davis and get up in them and show them tape and, hey, listen, you weren't doing this. You weren't playing hard. I, I said it after the Tennessee loss. I thought they were soft. So how do you come out there time and time again isn't it kind of who you are at this point? Well, probably a little bit. And there's probably some confidence, you know, when things start to go um, not their way, especially away from home. If you watch them play at the Dean Dome and they've really played well, they've scored the ball, they've put up great numbers and they've had impressive wins. Uh, when they get away from the Dean Dome, 
um, things go away from them early and they seem to sort of steamroll. And it, Hubert and his staff can say what they want, but I think Sean would be the first to tell you as well, your players have to find a way to rally and respond in tough times. And they haven't been able to do that. Um, they are new. Uh, to me, defending the three-point line has become a big problem for them. You know, in their, in their five losses, yeah. you know, they're giving up almost 10 made threes at 45%. And, you know, part of it is, you know, they're playing with two traditional big guys on the floor a lot. And uh, tonight they ran into maybe the toughest matchup in the ACC in Miami with their attack and what they're doing in terms of their perimeter play with the, the four guards and even Wardenburg at the five. So they have to maybe shore up some coverages and whatnot, but it's going to come down to the players at some point in time, you know, getting some things fixed during the game. You know, Jeff, the other part that I would just say, Arch, you know, to the both of you is right now, you know, we're almost at February, Carolina, 354th in the country at forcing turnovers. Right. You know, when I think of Carolina basketball and the identity, you know, it's using defense to create offense, playing with great pace, you know, being relentless on the glass, you know, the identity right now of Carolina basketball isn't that, you know, if you're 354 entering the month of February enforcing turnovers, well, then you got to be really sound at some other things. And again, you know, effort, first, you got to get that right. And then secondly, I think you got to start developing the scheme, but their defense is a real problem, Jeff. And I would say, unless it trends and improves significantly, I don't, I don't know if they'll make the tournament with the defense they currently have. It's hard to imagine, you know, to me, I, I tweeted the other day, I said, you know, I think they're a bubble team. They're probably on the right side of the bubble at that point. And Carolina fans and, and a lot of people went after me for it. And, and now I'm pretty sure they're on the other side of the bubble after this one. And well, their, their best win is against the Michigan team at home that let's face it, this Michigan team isn't a lock in they're probably not in the tournament if the season ended today. They're eight and seven. Yeah, they beat Maryland tonight, but who hasn't beat Maryland this year? Um, and really, you look at it, like you said, it's it's the defense as much as anything. Art said, in the five losses, teams have shot 45% from three, 52% from the field. They're averaging almost 89 points a game in those five losses. And I think you guys kind of highlighted this. Uh, opponents only 7.8 turnovers a game. So, and they're, they have athletic guards. It's not like, again, Caleb Love, he's an athletic guard that you want to get out and pressure the ball and try to create some, some offense off your defense. Now, Brady Manick may not be that type, and Dawson Garcia has been hurt a little bit over the last couple of weeks, so he's not quite as effective as he usually is. But I feel like right now, it's, it's the guard play. To me, they were five for 22 tonight. Caleb Love should be, in my opinion, an all-first team ACC-type caliber guard. And uh, and he just hasn't been able to do that. Miami, only four turnovers tonight. So yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing. If you're going to go on the road and you're going to play you know, good offensive teams, especially at home, you're going to take their best shot, their energy, their crowd you're going to have to find a way to do one of two things, get stops or don't turn the ball over. And, um, you know, they had 14 turnovers. They had eight by RJ Davis and Caleb Love. They're two primary ball handlers. And if Miami only turns it over four times and they shoot 13 for 28 from three, 
I think that's sort of the, the, the recipe for a disaster. Hey, look, we watched Baylor. We watched Kansas. Both played on the road here tonight. Baylor played shorthanded. Kansas it, coming out of the last media timeout is down. And you watched kind of how both of those teams played on the road defensively, offensively, with unreal energy, playing to win what we've come to expect. That's the standard at Carolina. And nobody knows that more than, than Hubert Davis. He played at Carolina. And just watching them perform on the road tonight, and just generally speaking, you could see how much their defense is in the way of their success. All right. I'll, I'll take this one because I know you guys aren't going to weigh in on this part. So I'll, I'll take the Hubert Davis question. And when he was hired, I said, I felt like Wes Miller was the pick there. I, I, you know they're going to keep it in the family. It's Carolina. Everybody else is keeping it in the family. So they certainly are more than anybody else because they have a stronger family. I mean, all those players come back every summer. They play. Um, and, again, I just felt like – and what worried me, as much as Hubert getting the job, I felt like then his staff really concerned me. and. He brought in Jeff Lebo, who hasn't really recruited at a high level in a long time. You know, he'd been at Auburn, fired, East Carolina, fired. He's been out the last few years. And if you're going to bring on Jeff Lebo, bring him on as a special assistant. Number two, Sean May, who I love, but he's got zero experience recruiting. And Brad Frederick, who's solid. He's been with them for a while. Now he, he's your number one guy and carrying all the load recruiting at this point. I, I just... I didn't love the combination of a rookie head coach with a staff that to me, listen, my daughter Talia can recruit to Carolina, but it's recruiting the right guys to Carolina. That's the key. And I thought they did well in the portal to some degree, but again, the portal, it, it, it's a crapshoot and Miami, they're kind of the flip side of it. Guys, they've done well with the portal and what they've got is man. Like they, they got dudes that are probably older than Arch right now. They got they they have an got old team. Miami has an old. Yeah, they, four they have starters. Have, I'd say they have the year. oldest yeah. roster in the ACC is at Miami, and they're old guards too, and that, that's a big part of it. But, um, you know, you got to give Hubert Davis some time. He's, he's yep. in his Agreed. first year. He's got a new roster. It's the first time that he's coached these guys, and I'm sure he's putting his stamp on it. But um, – way too early for that. I mean, they could come back here and, and wrap off three in a row. They have a talented group. Yep. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're always a, a game away or a week away from something good happening. And they've shown uh, some explosiveness in the Dean Dome for whatever reason, when they're on the road, they just have to find a way, especially early in games on the road in the first half, find a way to be in there. And uh, I think they'll have a little bit more success, but uh, yeah, and, way, and, way too and early. And Jeff, what I would just add about Hubert Davis and his staff, it's way, way too early right now to have, you know, all of the information and the judgment. What, what we definitely know is this, though, that if you're a McDonald's All-American or if you're a player right now that wants to be in this year's first round NBA draft, if you're somebody that went to Carolina fully expecting to leave Carolina early and be a part of the NBA, that's what programs like Carolina have in place then you're not getting there by being down 25 points on the road at Miami. Like, like yeah. you, you also have to look within if, if you're the starting point guard, if you're the starting center, if you're a freshman that's coming off the bench, 
That's not how things are done. And one thing you learn is this, with team success comes a lot of the individual accolades and goals that, that the players want. And when that team success goes away, it won't matter what color your jersey is or what used to be in place. You're going to be judged on the results. And some of, I think, what I'm sure they're trying to cultivate right now at Carolina is a renewed sense of toughness and energy and spirit because on the road, you only have each other. And right now, when they're on the road and they only have each other, their defense really leaves them. Okay, so how hard is it, guys? These days with the portal, usually you're recruiting kids for two, three years out of high school. You've seen them play a ton. You know a little bit more about their background, maybe their mental toughness. Now you're getting guys off the portal that, let's face it, you got to fill a gap. You're looking in there, all right, like I'm looking at the numbers. You know, again, Dawson Garcia, you might make a a couple phone calls. If you don't know that coach that well, they're not going to be transparent with you, let's face it. So you don't know what you're getting as much. How difficult is it for these coaches right now that are rebuilding their rosters through the portal? I'd say part part of it is what you're asking that incoming transfer to do. You know, I mean, there's expectations and there's reality. You know, if, if you're going to bring in a guy from the portal to be a stopgap guy and be, you know, a role player, sometimes that's an absolute disaster depending on what they sign up for. Uh, if you're bringing in guys that have a great, opportunity to play a lot of minutes, then you probably have more of a chance to see who he really is, you know, in terms of as a player, Dawson Garcia, he's a terrific player. He's a Carolina player out of high school. He's coming off of a head injury and whatnot, maybe his first game back here. So, but he's a good player. Brady Manick, he plays at Oklahoma starts for three or four years for Lon Kruger. You're going to get a well-coached guy. He's a front court player who can shoot, but they're also first-year players with those other guys that have been there for a year or two, like Armando Baycott and, and R.J. Davis and Caleb Love. You know, they haven't played together. So you go through some of those growing pains. But part of it is what you're bringing the guy in to do, and part of it is what that guy coming in thinks he's going to do. And if those things don't align, then you could have some problems in the portal. Miami, uh, lost games to UCF early at home, Dayton, neutral court, Alabama, neutral court, and Florida State in the road. Early. They got some pretty good wins now. I mean, they beat Duke at Cameron. You can't do better than that. That's the best win anybody's probably going to have all season long unless somebody beats Kansas in, in, in five hours. Uh, now they got Carolina. They've beaten Wake at home as well. Is this Miami team for real? Are they a lock NCAA tournament team now? Sean. Jeff, Charlie Moore is so old right now that <laughs> Cal Berkeley is on their third head coach, and he's still hooping. <laughs> That's insane. And I only bring that, that up crazy. because he started and played against me when I'm the coach in Arizona, and he's at Cal. He played for Quanzo Martin and then Joaquin Jones, and now they've, they've moved on to, uh, to Coach Fox. I mean – it, it really, you talk about the portal, that's taking it to the next level, but they're experienced. They have great guard play. Think about those two things. For years, when you think about the teams in the NCAA tournament that advance, what do they have in common? Experience and great guard play. I think Miami, we can establish, has both. Yeah, I love do. Miami. I love Miami. I think what Coach Laranegg has done from November now to where they're at, they're a totally different team. He's committed to small ball. They're playing Sam Wardenberg at the five position, and they're playing four absolute killer guards. A couple weeks ago when we were on the show, I think with uh, 
with Rob and, and T.O., we talked about maybe more of the one underrated guards in the country is Isaiah Wong. And I, I just think he's one of the best guards in the ACC. You have Charlie Moore, Cam McGusty's terrific, and, and Miller has really added. They have four legitimate high major uh, perimeter players, and Sam Wardenberg at the center made five three-point shots in tonight's game. They went into Cameron, and one of the big reasons they were able to do what they did, Duke couldn't pressure them, and you give those guys those, those opportunities to, to drive and play, uh, they were able to take advantage of it. And to me, they're one of the more difficult teams to play against right now in the country. And I, I think they are for real in the ACC. I think they're, they have a good thing going. Jeff Goodman here with Sean and Archie Miller on the Field of 68s After Dark. And Kansas, down the stretch, they're playing in Norman, Oklahoma. They're down late. And uh, we're in a little text chat with the three of us. And, man, you can see the love from Sean Miller <laughs> about Bill Self, can't you, Arch? I mean, like, nobody uh, loves Bill Self like Sean Miller I'm, does. When, I'm guilty when of he's that. I, up. I, I, I love Bill Self. I really, he gives I really the play-by-play. is unbelievable. Hey, he if you ask me what I do with my time, I, I watch Kansas basketball as much as I can. <laughs> I, and, and, and I'm going to tell you, I admire them, and I admire Coach Self for so many reasons, but – if you watch the last four minutes of the Oklahoma game and you really were paying attention, Kansas is losing the game, Arch and Jeff, by four points coming out of the crucial last media timeout. Bill Self dial, dial, dialed up and underneath out of bounds through a, a double screen for Obaji, makes the three-pointer. He dials up a side out of bounds flare screen. The Oklahoma defender goes under another three-pointer and he dials up a set play for a drive with his right hand, and he delivers. He called his number three times. The player's got to make the play, but Obaji is a great offensive player. He then fouled up three. Oklahoma never had a chance to tie. They inbounded the, the ball effectively. Obviously, Brown made a huge three-point shot to really kind of ice it, but Kansas plays to win, man, and they believe in themselves. They have a coach that – I don't care what part of the game that you want to study. He is excellent at that part of the game. His teams defend. They're very good. Like you talk about situational football in the NFL right now. Everybody uses that phrase because they're in the playoffs. Kansas situational basketball tonight. They won the game in the last segment of the, of the game because of what we talked about. All right, let's guys, let's, let's kind of watch the end of this Duke Florida state game and see Sean, what did you, uh, Sean, what did you say about Duke going into the last four minute media? They were down by seven. It, it's a test of the great programs in the last media. And we just talked about it with yeah. Kansas. And oh. that is, you see that pass? They, they execute and the best players rise up. You just kind of see it. And, you know, it's like oftentimes if you stop the game with four minutes to go, the team that wins wasn't winning at that media timeout, but I think it says a lot about Duke and them going to this two, three zone here down the stretch. Do you take a time out here if you're Leonard Hamilton, you're down two. Yes. Okay. There it is. There it is. Would you have taken it quicker? I don't, I don't know if, if how, I mean, he has plenty of time right now. Yeah. 50 Marks, yeah. Paulo Ben Paulo to Mark Williams. What, oh, what an unbelievable what a pass. pass and catch. I Mark still don't Williams. think Mark Williams Listen, enough credit. Yeah. As much as you gush about Bill Self, 
Mark you Williams. You might love Mark Williams even more, Sean Miller. He's one of my favorite players because he does it at both ends. The way he impacts the game with his shot blocking, and I really believe this, don't be surprised if Duke doesn't go to him more on offense as the year grows because he it's not like he can't score. I mean, I think teams in the ACC, they're uncomfortable when they're able to get him the ball in the low post because he's good on both ends, man. He is a true big – now, the problem with calling that timeout, Jeff, is Duke going to be in man-to-man or zone? Like, in some ways, because you have 15 seconds, Duke is a traditional man-to-man team, but they just were playing zone – so in a sense, Leonard Hamilton has to deal with both. What did it's they come out? Yeah, they're like now man. they're man. Okay, so now you're going to face their man-to-man versus their zone, and it's at eight. You could tell they, they didn't get into it very quick, right? So you look at it, that indecision oh. there, oh, big-time shot. Big-time shot. Big-time shot, and this thing is going to go to overtime. Going to go to overtime. Wow. Big-time play drive at the end of the game there by Florida State to tie it and, and go to overtime. All right, let's, this, is let's, a, this is a huge game for Florida State. This huge. puts Florida State back in the mix of a lot of good stuff if they're able to pull this game out. Well, you know why? Because there's no other resume wins to be had in the ACC. So you got to beat Duke. If you want to make a jump, really make a jump. Like, you can beat Miami, and that's a decent win now. But if you want to really make a jump and have a resume victory, you've got to beat Duke. So you're right. For Florida State, they dug themselves a hole earlier in the year, and now they've got They were young, though. This is the first team Leonard, yep. Leonard Hamilton's had in the last four, four, three or four seasons that hasn't brought back a ton of returners that added talent. But this has been a young team. If you watched them early in the year play against Florida compared to where they are here two months later, totally different team. Yeah. All right, getting back to Kansas. Arch, yeah. is this a team, when you watch them, what are they missing? I mean, the only thing to me that I still worry about is, is David McCormick down low, yeah. and, and he's been up, down, around. You don't yeah. know what to expect from him. Everything else, although their point guard plays still, Remy Martin, we really haven't seen the Remy Martin that, that Sean not, Miller saw you're not for gonna the see last that few guy. years. You're not, you won't, right? You're not going to see that type of Remy Martin. I'm sure he's going to help them win a lot of games, but he's not going to be like that. But there's two things I think with Kansas, one big thing tonight, first time all season that Jalen Wilson had 16 points. You know, he is, he was a great player for them a year ago. Last year as a freshman, I believe he averaged almost 11 between 11 and 13 a game, had a slow start off the floor and then onto the floor. And then tonight he he gets 16 points on the road for him tonight, and they needed it. Uh, what's going to be the difference is if they can get consistent play from their center position, because Kansas, if they have that in place, they're almost impossible to guard because if you can throw it in there, like they did against West Virginia over the weekend, I think he had 19 and 15 in that game tonight, he goes three for seven and scores six points. You know, there's a, there's almost a high and a low with them. If you can get him in the middle, where he's getting 10, 12 a game and they can throw it to him four or five times a half for an angle. That's going to make Kansas really hard to deal with. But right now I think McCormick's play inside has been a little inconsistent. They don't have a real backup that can score either, but they got a lot of other parts and Jalen Wilson plays 35 minutes tonight. That's a big step in the right direction for their team growing is getting him back going. Arch, what did Remy Martin do in tonight's game? He played 15 minutes. He was one for right. five for two points. He's been hurt. He's been hurt. Right. So let me just say this, okay? They went to Oklahoma, 
with Remy Martin really just in spot action, right? And they won the game. Oklahoma. They really only played seven guys tonight. Yeah, and and here's the thing on Kansas. They're number five in college basketball and offense, number five. What do you guys – I mean, how much more do you need from McCormick? I mean, what is it that's going to satisfy Goodman and Arch? Like, at what point will you say that's enough? Like, do they have to move four more spots to have America's number? No, I, I think it, I, I mean, think at the end of the day, though, Kansas has always had that one guy right. that's going to get him between 12, 14 points, lob plays, angle plays, bucket two-point shots where they don't have to always depend on the drive or the three. And uh, he struggles sometimes. And uh, yeah. last year he came on late and, um, you know, he was very consistent. He just hasn't been as consistent this year. But, I mean, when you're dealing with Kansas and you have to deal with those six or seven quick hitters where they get that big guy dunk or an easy basket, it's hard to deal with them. In the they're perimeter. Them, Sean. Sean, at some point they're going to yeah. need David McCormick yeah. in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. You can't yeah. have 5.4 yeah. rebound per – like – at least be a dominant rebounder. Even if you're not scoring in the post, go get 10 for me. Hey, Hugs, Hugs said he was a first-round pick after the game on Saturday. 19 well, he, and 15. But I will say Hugs watch one game of them then. <laughs> they, they throw him the ball. They like, do. Like, Kansas doesn't ignore him. Well, no. There's going to be some games where McCormick is going to be a wrecking crew, and there's going to be others maybe where he isn't. But again, when your offense is number five, get, I'll take the number five offense in, in America. I'll, I'll take that because the other part, like we've, we've hit Carolina between the eyes a little bit. I mean, Kansas is 33 on defense. And when you add those two numbers up, I mean, they it is amazing to me what they're able to do because at this point, they don't have one high school McDonald's All-American on their team. For just for a split second, can wow. we count the McDonald's All Americans on Duke's team right now? I, I've lost track of that game. Like, am I right that there's five on the court right now? Everyone on the floor. Okay. Yeah. Kansas got zero on their roster. They have the fifth best offense in America. I mean, uh, you know, I'm I mean, back. between Obaji and, and, and Christian Brown, me all the time, coach, facts. That's fact. I'm, I'm, I'm spitting facts right there to support my love for the Jayhawks. As well, you should. And, and other facts that you should support that I was completely wrong on was the hire of Mark Adams at Texas Tech. This guy has been incredible what he's been able to do. I thought this thing would absolutely plummet. Maybe not this Come year. Come on, Jeff. I did. Come on. It's Lubbock. It's the worst job in the Big 12. I mean, the success, the success that they've had over the past five, six seasons, whatever it is, he's been there every day. No, he's, he's been clearly, he's clearly the, archi the architect of yes. something that's, that's the backbone of what they're doing. And here's the deal with all the new guys that they have, they haven't lost that backbone. I mean, they really haven't. I mean, they are a stud on the stud team on defense. Um, and right now they're finding enough offense to win. And, um, you know, he, he's done a fantastic job with that team. Incredible job. The only thing here was my biggest question. Okay. And, and tell me why I was wrong here. My biggest question was, can Mark Adams, who's in his sixties, who's never been a head coach at the high major division one level beer did all the recruiting. Mark Adams did not recruit at all. He coached defense. Could beard recruit at the high major level. That was my biggest concern. Well, 
he's he's done just fine, right? Why, Sean? Well, there's so many different versions of recruiting in today's world. And Chris Beard, when he was at Texas Tech, did it as well as anybody, Jeff. When he was in a national championship game, he had some key transfers, graduate transfers that came from a school and were eligible immediately. And, you know, they're older. It's kind of a different version of one and done. Now you can take a transfer, not just a graduate transfer, and plug them in without that player sitting out. And the location, which sometimes can work against Texas Tech, that's not as big of a factor when you're, when you're choosing a program for a year or two years and you're eligible right away. You want to play in the tournament. You want to play in the Big 12. You want to play for an excellent coach in front of a rabid fan base. Texas Tech now offers you all of that. And you no longer have to deal with recruiting the state of Texas against Texas and Baylor and Houston and Texas A&M. So I think that really helps. But look, let's give Mark Adams credit for this. Is the identity of Texas Tech, their basketball program, intact? Yes. yes. When you watch them on TV, what do you think of? Defense. When you talk to their players, what do they talk about? Defense. When you talk to the other coaches that coach against Texas Tech, what's what do they describe? He has that firmly in place. He's an excellent coach. Yeah. No, listen, he's proven me wrong, completely wrong. And I'm glad because uh, I can't wait for that February 1st game when uh, Texas and Chris Beard returns to Lubbock. And they are going to boo him so badly. <laughs> and, and now, <laughs> listen, everybody, I, I thought, not the Texas Tech fans, but I thought Chris Beard was going to come back and he'd come back as a top 10 team and Texas tech would be somewhere fighting for their, their NCAA tournament lives. And instead it's completely flipped as Texas lost tonight guys at home to Kansas state. The Longhorns now do not have a resume win at all. Nowhere. I mean, they lost at Gonzaga. I was there. They got blown out. They lost a close one at Seton hall had a chance there and played a bunch of cupcakes. Other than that, Sean has the number. What is their, their non-conference strength of schedule, Sean? Texas is what? 358, I believe, right? 358? 358. 358. And, and all that means is in the Big 12, because there's plenty of opportunities yeah. for them to play quad one games, both home and away. They have to win in the Big 12. And if they do that, they'll be fine. But if they don't, then, then the committee and just generally speaking, their non-conference schedule will hurt them. They will not be able to over, overcome that. But when you take a job like Chris Beard did and you make that many decisions, Jeff, we just talked about it with Texas Tech. They also, Texas Tech, blended some returning good players from a previous year. And then they added some, some transfers. In Texas, they have a little bit of both going, but they added a ton of, of transfers right away. And it's hard to make those decisions in such a short period of time. And I think part of what we're seeing Texas is they just don't have that stability and that identity that I think they'll have maybe a year or two from now. Hey, and by the way, let's give Bruce Weber a little bit of credit. I mean, the guy didn't open big 12 play coaching his team after a good non-conference, his staff was sick. Yep. And you know what, right now, I mean, Bruce Weber's as good of a coach as there is. I think everybody would say that when they play against their team. But if you play against Kansas State, and we've been saying it all year, 
the Big 12 is an absolute monster. It, it really is. And you're playing against, you know, TCU and Kansas State, who's picked near the bottom, Jamie Dixon and Bruce Weber. I mean, those are the guys you're going up against. I just feel like Kansas State, you know, they got a raw deal coming out of the COVID deal. Their head coach does an open conference play coaching them. He's back now. They got a chance to get their feet back on the ground. And, uh, you know, they did a great job here tonight with this win. And to be honest with you, he, he's a terrific coach. All right. Field of 68 after dark. Jeff Goodman here with Sean Miller, with Archie Miller. And uh, we're in the same spot we were in about 10 minutes ago, boys. Florida State has the ball down one. This time, instead of about 12 seconds left, they've got 31 seconds left to try to win this thing at home in Tallahassee, which could be a complete season-changing win if Leonard Hamilton is able to get it. Uh, two of the veteran coaches of the game, right? I mean, Coach K's going out this year. This is a swan song. They're in good shape anyway. Whether they win this or not, Duke's going to be fine. They've still got some work to do, obviously. But this would be a heck of a win for Florida State. All right, take me through this, Sean. Uh, what well, Florida look at the difference. Now they're zone, right? So on the last sequence that Florida State scored on them, Duke went from zone to man-to-man. -man. So Florida State faced Duke's man-to-man -man on the last play. Now Duke is in a 2-3 zone. So obviously a big difference and a big call right there with six seconds left. Yeah, they get the block there on Roach. And uh, Raekwon Evans, who was kind of the, the, the hero to get this thing into overtime, uh, will go to the line. Down do, you guys, the do you guys happen to know it offhand what Florida State's home ACC record is over about the last four years? I think they're about, I, I, know. I don't know how many in one. It, they're like, I, their I home like record like 75 and in four one. in their last 79 games at home or something crazy like that. I mean, they tied Duke's, I think, 2001, 2002 run, whatever it was, with about 33 straight ACC home wins. Absolutely. I mean, they, 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 they have incredible run. Duke has a timeout here, and it'll be interesting to see if they bring the ball up fast and call the timeout, or do they let them play through? Um, it looks to me like they're going to play through. And obviously, you're just at the mercy of the five players out there if you don't call the timeout. When no more misses on the drive and they don't Florida get state shot. is going to yeah. get the victory at home. How about this? Duke loses one uh, recently at home to Miami, and then they lose another one at Florida state. And uh, what this continues to show me guys, and you can argue if you want is that there's no dominant team in college basketball this year, as much as we want to anoint Auburn, Gonzaga. Or Gonzaga. I'll take Gonzaga. I'll take Gonzaga over anybody else. I'm not sure I'll take him today. I want to take him in six weeks once Chet looks like a different player, once they get Nolan Hickman going. So I, I think you're right. Gonzaga to me is probably the team I would take, but ultimately I, I don't I don't know if they're that much further ahead of anybody else. Jeff, I, I tell you this game though, when you look at it, it was obviously a great game and uh, Trevor Keels got injured earlier in the game too, which is going to be a big story beyond this game. But you think about how it ended Duke playing a two, three zone on the last possession, which normally isn't the case. They foul with six seconds on the shot clock, which 
the foul had nothing to do with the shot. Like it, it was just a common foul away from the basket and they made both. And then Duke has an opportunity to either call a timeout or not. And they end up getting just a really bad, tough shot that's blocked. By the way, not by Paulo or maybe their best overall option. But, you know, Arch, one thing that I would say is anytime you take the ball out on the side against Florida State, it's hard to get it in. It's difficult to get it in. You wonder if Duke doesn't call that timeout because 12 seconds, you could play it either way. But do you not call the timeout simply because it doesn't matter because you're now going to have to struggle to potentially get the ball in, uh, let alone. And, and at the at the end of the day, when you're playing against Florida State, you're dealing with one through five on the switch anyway. Switch. That's right. So if you're going to get the ball to Wendell Moore, you might as well let him bring it up and, and, and just get everyone away from it where there's yeah. not any problems. Because if you set a ball screen or you try to, you know, make two passes, there's a chance yeah. some things could go bad when that happens. So, I mean, if Duke wants to bring it down and they have the ball and the guy that his hands and they have the spacing that they wanted, it's probably about as best you're going to get against Florida State in those situations. When you talk right. about winning or well, losing, welcome. All right, Sean, hold on one sec. We are we are now live on Sirius after Duke's loss to Florida State in Tallahassee. Great overtime game. And uh, this is Field of 68's After Dark. Jeff Goodman here with Sean Miller, with Archie Miller, and their 15 NCAA tournament appearances combined. They're five Elite Eights, and we've been breaking down the Knights' action so far. But this was a big one. This was big. a big one, guys. Because, again, it puts Florida State in a position where we thought they would be. And Duke now looks a little more vulnerable than we had him a week or so ago. Is this Duke team, Sean Miller, a team that we can put still in that upper echelon with Gonzaga, with Auburn? Well, the injury tonight is big, Jeff. I mean, that could change the complexion of the remainder of the season. I hope Trevor Keels is okay. Or, or I hope he only misses a short period of time because if it's one of those injuries, that's going to take, you know, beyond the month, you know, do, uh, I don't know if you could put him in that upper, upper tier. We're talking about the tier, the group that we think can win it all, but uh, clearly tonight's game was a big one could have gone either way. We were just talking about it, Jeff, the importance at the end of games to not foul. And then the second part is, how many of these types of games are won or lost with an offensive rebound? You know, yeah. they miss the first shot and they tip it in. And in tonight's game, you know, Duke's in that two, three zone and they just get a foul out on the court, which ends up being the final point scored for Florida state. I'm sure part of why they went to a two, three zone is to not foul and to make Florida state score. All right. Well, this is our second night on Sirius XM. ESPNU Radio, Channel 84. Uh, if you want to watch us, you can also find us on the Field of 68 on YouTube and on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, hit the like button. Uh, this is Jeff Goodman again with Sean with Archie Miller. And we've already kind of recapped a little bit of the disaster that is North Carolina. So we're not going to do that again for the, the people joining us from Sirius. You can certainly listen to the replay to get the, uh, the, the full scoop there of, of how bad it is. Um, but one team that, that did snap a streak tonight and it wasn't a long streak, but it was a long streak for them was the Baylor bears and Scott right. drew. 
who have been absolutely sensational, the best program in America the last couple of years. They go into Morgantown tonight. They come away with a 77-68 win, which sounds fine. Normally, we'd be like, ho home, right? No big deal. But they were without James Akinjo, maybe the best point guard in the country, and Jeremy Sohan, who I think is going to be an NBA player one day. He's a freshman. He gives them that, that length, that size, the ability to shoot the ball. Uh, LJ Cryer was great. Matthew Meyer showed up tonight. Flagler was good. Every day, John. Everybody else, I felt like, showed up and did their part, Sean, which was no surprise because this is a team that I don't care what happens. Come March, I, I just feel like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep putting their name further and further over in the bracket. Well, Jeff, I mean, why, why do you, why do people, coaches, you know, and, and really any sport, but especially basketball, talk about defense travels, rebounding travels, meaning when you're on those tough road games and conference play, and there'll be no more tougher games than in any other conference and on the road in the Big 12. And like you had mentioned, without two starters, you know, West Virginia shot 39% from the field. And although Baylor made key shots and they had a couple of players step up, Baylor's defense and rebounding is in place game in, game out. As a matter of fact, in their recent losses, that's really one of the things that has slipped a little bit. But tonight they had their defense back and uh, it showed up in Morgantown and that was a great win for their team. Arch, what, what is it about this Baylor team that maybe worries you a little bit? Because last year, let's face it, they were dominant. I mean, they were absolutely dominant. They had pros. They had experience. Is there something specifically that worries you a little bit? Because I feel like they're good and they have a chance, but I'm, they're not nearly as powerful as they were a year ago. They're not nearly as powerful as they were a year ago. And I think in their back-to-back losses, they showed that, you know, not being able to make perimeter jump shots, you know, can also can put them in a, in a, in a tough spot in 50, 50 games. You know, I think in their last few games, they didn't shoot the three as well. Um, but it's not a whole lot to pick at them. They've played great competition. Um, they've played on the road. They've played at, you know, Villanova at Oregon. Uh, they go to the Bahamas. They win that. They hit this two-game stretch, and I think everyone's almost in shock a little bit because you expect them to keep going. But uh, what a response they had. Guys are down. And then you get the returners, Mayer and L.J. Cryer go for 45 between them. Um, L.J. goes for 25. He made five threes. And, uh, you know, every day, John, he, he's out there, especially early on. What a presence but they have enough. And if they get healthy here again, they get James back, they get Jeremy Sohan back. To me, they're the team to beat right now as it keeps going. But I will say this, don't be surprised if they don't take a few more licks in that Big 12. That Big 12 is very difficult right now to go on the road and win any game in that league is going to be hard. It doesn't matter who you play. Um, But today was a big response for them in establishing that they're back and they're going to be able to contend for the big 12 championship. You don't want to lose this one, you know, three in a row. And the next thing you know, you start to get into that, that funk of two weeks straight where it's not feeling good. They got that out of their system. They're able to get it back now. And um, you know, them in Kansas both made big time plays and wins um, to put themselves in a situation to stay up at the top of the league. Hey, and without, Jeff, LJ without a Ken Joe, without a Ken Joe, we're going to, we're going to, Yep. Cryer was the guy who stepped up and 
he did have 25. And he was a guy that came into the season a little bit anonymous, barely played a year ago, has come off the bench this year, but given him a huge lift. And we had a chance to talk to LJ Cryer after their win in Morgantown earlier tonight. with a 77-68 win in Morgantown over West Virginia to snap a two-game losing skid. And we have the star of stars, the guy who went for the career high tonight, sophomore guard for the Bears, L.J. Cryer. L.J., congrats. Heck of a game. Five and nine from three. How you feeling? Uh, I feel really good. Um, my teammates really play unselfishly today. Um uh, they did a great job screening for me, uh, going off the pin downs and stuff. They knew they were going to be chasing me over the top. So um, they set them high, and I was going low, and I, they did a great job giving me open looks. How how important was this win? I mean, you know, it's only a two-game losing streak, but for Baylor, that probably seems like an eternity for you guys uh, that you haven't won a game. How how important was it to come in and get a road win against a tough, gritty West Virginia team in Morgantown? Um, it was very important, um, especially because since we're on the losing streak, um, I mean, I feel like this will give us some momentum going into the next game. So um, it's a big win. Go ahead, Arch. LJ, um, you know, 1,038 days, that's what it took for Baylor basketball to lose back-to-back -back games. And that's an incredible number. I'm, in, I'm, I'm curious, how did Coach Drew and the staff approach you guys after your your uh, second game in a row that you lost at home and what was his message to you guys in the preparation and then heading into West Virginia game uh, how, how was how was he and how did he build your team and get you guys ready um I mean he pointed some things out on film um like our effort and stuff like that so um I mean he didn't really sugarcoat what was going on he told us straight up what the problem was and then um, we had to go out there and practice hard and then execute in the game. So that's really what it was, effort. Yeah, it looked like your defense was really locked in start to finish, regardless what was happening in the game on offense. You guys never lost your your way defensively, and uh, that was a big reason why I think you guys pulled this one out. Yeah, I agree. I feel like whenever we put together um, consecutive stops, then we're a hard team to beat. Hey, LJ, last year you guys won it all, right? And along that journey, I don't know if you realize this, you won 17 games away from home, all right, on your route to winning national championship. <laughs> what, what is that? What did you learn last year going through that process that you keep with you today that gives you confidence or you think maybe separates Baylor on the road from everybody else? Um, I mean, on the road, we know a lot of things aren't going to go our way. We're not going to get a lot of calls. Um, so we just got to keep our composure. Um, last year, the guys um, that are playing a lot, that's what they did. So um, I keep that with me today from watching them. So um, I tried to help my team stay composed as well. Yes. Okay, you were a four-star kid coming out of high school, highly touted, uh, could have went a lot of different places. You go to Baylor last year, and obviously you're playing behind some dudes, but you only score a total of 67 points all year. A lot of yeah. guys probably would have said, you know what? especially in this day and age, I'm going to hit the portal. I'm going to hit the portal somewhere where I'm going to start. You've come off the bench this year. You've had a heck of a year averaging about 13 a game. You're shooting the heck out of the ball, about 47% from three. 
what made you stay the course? Um, honestly, I felt like um, those guys were getting me a lot better um, every day in practice. Um, there's a lot more practices than the games. Uh, you only play like 30 games and then you have a million practices. So um, I felt like just the fact that I was getting better, um, it was important for me to stay here. And LJ, I'll follow up with that. Going into tonight's game, you, you have two important pieces to your team that aren't playing. You know, James is obviously out. Um, and uh, Jeremy's been out for three games. But knowing the stakes of the game and, and your leadership was huge. I mean, you, you, you made shots. You scored career-high 25 points. But in, in, it just in general, you were ready to go. How, how in your mind, has your, has your mindset changed coming into games this year that in the past, obviously, you were more of a role guy? You see yourself right now as a game changer. And clearly today you showed that, uh, you know, there's a lot more pieces to Baylor than just a couple people. Oh, yeah. I feel like I could um, provide a spark. Um, I have a niche for scoring the ball. So whenever I have opportunities, I just got to make sure I take those opportunities and be confident. And then as far as um, being a leader, just got to make sure the other guys are confident in what they do as well. LJ, my final question, uh, and it's on the heels of what I just talked to you about. I mean, you had, you had three great teammates last year, Mitchell, Butler, and T. None of them are, are there anymore. When you think back, like, what is it that you learned from them? What More than anything, like, you, people always ask you along those lines that question. But, like, when you think of those three or maybe one of those three, what is it that you carry, again, have with you that they gave you that you've put in your toolbox? What you learned from them? I feel like um, composure. Um, last year, I felt like um, even in practice, I get uncomposed at times um, when things weren't going my way. So I felt like um, just watching them and them talking to me a lot, even to this day, they, they've helped me. Well, yeah. you, were, you were very composed tonight, as was uh, the entire team. That's a heck of a road win in Morgantown. Those are not easy to, to be had, uh, as Sean and Arts. They're not easy at all. So congrats, my man, and uh, good luck the rest of the season. Thank you, sir. Congrats, Good LJ. Okay. Good luck to you, man. And Appreciate great job it. tonight, man. Way to step up. Yeah, great Thank job. You. All right, that was Baylor's sophomore guard, LJ Cryer, who finished with a career-high 25 points tonight. Uh, thanks to LJ for joining us here on the Field of 68's After Dark. And when we come back from this break, Sean and Arch are going to tell you why there is cause for concern beyond just this loss in Tallahassee for the Duke Blue Devils. Cool. You guys have a minute 20. All right. All right. Well, we, let's, let's throw some questions at, at Sean and Arch here. And uh -oh. uh, I'm going to start for one uh, Jim from Tucson, Sean. Oh, um, he, he says, uh, Ben Matherin, who does he remind you of? You, you know him about as well as anybody. Who's his game remind you of? Oh, wow. That is such a great question. Um, 
probably reminds you of, of a couple of these old school Arizona Wildcat wing Gilbert guys. Kind of like, um, I mean, you want to say Gilbert Arenas just because what's the theme between both of them is Ben can shoot the ball so, so well. Here's the thing about Ben Matherine and um, Obagi's the same way. In today's world of the importance of, of shooting at the NBA level, like he answers the bell. His shot is effortless. Jeff, he's Ben is almost six foot six. He's got a quick release, uh, shoots over people, and uh, you know, just incredibly efficient. So I don't really have a person to compare to as much as uh I have him uh clearly as that's his strength. All right, all right. Going live. Uh, ben Matherin, there you go. All right. Uh I'm Jeff Goodman of Stadium. Here with the Miller brothers, Sean and Archie. Welcome back to the Field of 68 after dark. This is our second night on Sirius XM, ESPNU Radio, Channel 84. Uh, make sure you watch us also on the Field of 68 on YouTube and Twitter. And make sure you hit that subscribe button. Um, but let's get back to Duke, guys. You know, we talked about him a little bit. But... Arch, you're worried about them, not necessarily because of them losing the game tonight in Tallahassee. They lost a tough one, but that's, listen, that's a road environment. Yeah, I mean, Florida State beats everybody in Tallahassee for the most part. Why are you so worried about this Blue Devils team going forward now? Well, I think the big thing with Keel's injury, um, how serious is that? I mean, he, he arguably is one of the top players in the country. He has a big role for Duke. He's played well in big games. He does a lot of ball handling for him in crucial moments right now when the, when the sort of when the game is on the line, he's a big uh, scoring guard. He does a lot. And uh, if he's not part of the equation long-term, I think that really will change the complexion of their team. It puts Jeremy Roach um, in a much different role in terms of what he's going to have to do with the ball in his hands, going to raise AJ Griffin's level, which he's done a really nice job here, uh, recently but he's gonna have to pick up his scoring but Keels was their go-to guy other than Moore with the ball in his hands when the money's on the line and uh, if he's not available if this is a long-term thing to me that really that really hurts Duke if it's a short-term thing they'll get through it and they'll be okay but Duke's game tonight against Florida State hard environment teams on fire in Florida State and, you know, it goes double overtime or whatever it is. So it's a 50-50 game. They, they have back-to-back home games coming up next. And, you know, in Cameron, you have to put your money on Duke when they play. You know, Sean, the one thing, Sean Miller here uh, in the field of 68s after dark, the one thing is, like Art said, Keels takes some of the pressure off of Wendell Moore. He's not a natural point guard. So it's always good if you don't have a natural point guard and you saw it on that final play to some degree, you know, more drove into traffic, you know, got off a decent shot, but not a guy that you were going to see necessarily. It's not like his eyes. I thought we're looking at anybody else other than the rim on that play. So not a natural point. I think he needs keels to make him be more effective. I mean, Jeff, any team right now that's, that's near the top of, uh, of college basketball, no, no one can afford an injury to a key player, a starter. They, they have to, if it happens, you do the best you can. And sometimes when you reinvent yourself, you almost surprise yourself that you end up getting back to a very, very high level of play. But if Duke loses a player of that caliber, 
that's going to really hurt them. They'll still be really good, but he is a terrific player. I would just say I love Duke as a team. The one difference between Duke and some of the others we compare them to is they're still so young. They're really talented. The young players are great individual players. But college basketball right now is littered with so many older, experienced, really good players and teams that when you get into March in single elimination basketball, their lack of experience is not a good thing in today's world. And I think that's one thing that I love about Kentucky. When you see Kentucky right now, for the first time, they had that blend. They have a couple older guys, some returning guys mixed in with Ty Ty Washington. And uh, so I think the injury to Keels and just overall great talent, very good team, but don't have that older experienced player players. I, I think that some of the other teams have. Baylor's a great example. Look what happened tonight. Matthew Mayer goes wild, right? Cryer. He, he steps up. And then if you look at their success before the injuries, James Akinjo, he's in his fourth year playing. So that's what I mean when I tell you ex kind of comparing Duke to some of these other top flight teams. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like to me, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but, you know, the, the Baylors, the Gonzagas, you would you'd be more, far more comfortable, certainly today. But again, Duke still has almost the entire ACC slate left, plus the ACC tournament for some of these guys to, to, to make even more progress. But without Keels, they only have four NBA draft picks probably on, on the floor now and, and four McDonald's All-Americans. They still have a lot of talent, but it is young talent compared to Gonzaga, who's got, you know, Drew Timmy, Andrew Nemhard, guys hey, Duke, that have been there. Duke's the 344th young, I mean, oldest team in the country, which means, right. I mean, they are so young. I mean, their average roster age is like 19 years old. I saw something the other day in the ACC, Miami's at 23 is the average age of their player. I mean, they're, they're the youngest team out there that we're talking about that's trying to do what they're trying to do. Yeah, and Arch, you think about their two losses, right? We watched the Miami game at Cameron. Yeah. I mean, you could have bet when Paulo dunked the ball in that They had him beat, yep. He was going to win the game. It was just a tough loss. And then tonight they foul at, at 20 feet, and they get a, you know, that type of call goes against them, two free throws, game over. So they still are right there. They're very close to being undefeated in the ACC. But – no team, I don't care what team we're talking about, can afford to lose a player like Trevor Keels. I hope he's okay. I think he finished the game on the bench, though. Am I right in saying that he was in the handshake line at the end of the, at the game? I'm not sure. I didn't I, see I, him. Yeah, I didn't see him at the end, but this is something we're obviously going to have to watch. And, and sometimes, again, you guys know, sometimes even you get the win. Even if you got the win tonight, it's almost more important you know, the health of your team going forward, especially for a program uh, like Duke. All right, listen, thanks uh, to everybody for joining us tonight on the Field of 68s After Dark. Thanks to Sean Miller. Thanks to Archie Miller. Again, this was their second night on SiriusXM ESPN Radio. You can join us every single night from 11 o'clock Eastern till midnight on Channel 84. And if you want to watch us, uh, you can find us in the Field of 68.
All right. We are sticking around, boys. And uh, we got to finish it out with our, uh, with our toast of the night for sure. And we'll also take some other questions uh, from the, uh, from the YouTube chat. Jeff, are we live? We are live. We're live, Sean. We're live. Gotcha. Um, That's why I asked the question. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you asking because we don't want you to. to, to... All right. <laughs> what, what, here we got, we got a question from Tommy. Uh, Tommy from Toledo. Uh, Tommy from Toledo. Tommy from, from Toledo asked, where, where where's the toughest crowd that each of you have played, either played or coached in? Where's the place that the rabid fans, the craziest place you guys have ever been? Good, oh man, I think toughest place probably I've ever played is Cole Field House, old Maryland Terrapins Cole Field House. That place was, uh, you know, it was a death trap in there. It felt like, I mean, Cameron was Cameron, but I always felt like Cole Field House just was really, really an eerie feeling when you were playing there. As a coach, probably have been in every arena that you can, but um, in my time, Mackey Arena. It, Purdue Boilermakers is about as good as it's going to get in college in terms of college basketball environment. They've, they have it going at an unprecedented level um, in places that I've been. Yeah. I mean, Jeff, first of all, I have to tell you, I'm very fortunate and I think Arch is too, that I actually coached in two of the best home yeah. courts in college. Yeah. So did I. The coach. Yeah. I mean, Xavier, the Stintoff Center, Xavier and McHale Center, uh, unreal off the charts other coaches would have maybe given you one of those two as their answer but uh, the the place that still uh, I can't believe it and maybe it was the timing of when I was there Cameron Indoor Stadium Duke you know they have that that beginning of you know here comes Duke <laughs> and uh, I mean it's insane it, it's just insane it's just it just feels like, you, you know, you have no room on the sideline. It's hot, great talent on the other team. And uh, I'd say Cameron Indoor Stadium. And then maybe on a, on a uh, quiet, quieter level, just maybe not as big of a deal. Arch, I'd say UD Arena for me yeah. as a visitor, very, very hard to play in. UD Arena is a special place for, I mean, I've never obviously gone in there as a road team, but coached a lot of games in there and a lot of big games and uh, that never disappoints. It doesn't matter who you play or when you play them place never disappoints. You turn on the television, you see the carrier dome, they're playing Clemson. There's probably 8,000 out of 30 seats. If, if you yeah. if you D arena would be full every single night, doesn't matter who they play. I tell you one place that doesn't have a good home court right now is Pauley Pavilion. <laughs> I watched the Los Angeles Rams play the Arizona Cardinals last night. Just I thought there was 150,000 people in that stadium. And about 12 miles down the road, they won't let a single fan eat popcorn and watch the Bruins, man. I feel bad for those guys. Hey, that is a significant disadvantage in winning the Pac-12 for them. And USC as well. Forget, I mean, Oregon. Yeah, but nobody it, shows up. Nobody's because I'm going to tell you this anyway, much, Sean. Uh, it's changed a little bit. It's changed. All a right, little bit. all right. But all right. I'm just telling you this much: when they play in McHale, it's going to be fourteen thousand people in there. And when they when Arizona plays in Pauley, yeah. there's going to be nobody but Bill Walton and Dave Pash. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got to let's do some rapid fire, quicker, quicker answers. I know that's not either either of your strengths, but especially, especially Sean. Quick, Arch. Quick, quick. In and out. All right, I'm in giving this out. one to Arch. I'm giving this one to Arch because I, I know he picked this team to win the Big Ten. Patrick Laser asks, what is Ohio State's ceiling 
when Justice Suing is back. And I think Suing's going to be back here in a couple weeks. It goes up because he's a very versatile defender. And if Iowa State's going to get to where they want to get to, they're going to have to defend a little bit better than they have um, here in the, in the early part. They have the offense, but to me, Suing gives them sort of a Swiss Army knife. He can do a lot, and I think he helps their defense. All right, uh, Sean. Timothy Rosario asks, should Gonzaga be trying to run more of their offense through Chet Holmgren? I feel like they need that option when playing better teams that can stop Drew Timmy, maybe because of, you know, Timmy does struggle against some length. What's the name of the guy who asked that question, Jeff? Timothy Rosario. <laughs> Timothy. Tim, are you feeling okay? Are you are you all right? I just I love to make sure you're safe. They they just scored 110 and 115 points. They have America's most feared <laughs> offense. Historically, they may have the best offense in the history of college basketball. Whatever they're doing, do not under any circumstances change. I like it. All right. Uh, from Will. Uh, this is this is for Arts, right up your speed, Arts. What does Indiana need to do to beat Purdue on Thursday? They're going to have to find a way to defend the post. You know, and I think part, part of it will be their perimeter players doing a great job disrupting, which they've done this year. One pass away, two passes away. Make, the, make their offense delay the rhythm. And then at, maybe at some point in time, throw a double in there on Travion and keep them off balance. Uh, make sure to everybody who's watching right now, make sure you subscribe uh, to the field of 68's after dark channel. Um, please make sure you do that every night we go on again. And uh, we're, we're trying to ramp this thing up. It's been on serious now, so you can watch it a, a, a lot of different ways, but uh, YouTube is certainly one way that you can be uh, kept up to date every single night. All right. Um, we got another one here from uh, Rob Zodiac after tonight's scare against Northwestern Sean Miller is Wisconsin a legitimate big 10 contender or was this, a, this just an off night? I mean, Arch is more equipped to answer that. Go ahead, Arch. Go ahead. Hard game anywhere in the big 10 on the road. is very difficult. Northwestern traditionally is going to be in every single game. They play late. They've had some tough losses but it's hard to win on the road. Wisconsin right now is playing as well as anybody in the Big Ten. And when you factor in the Cole Center as their home court, they got, they're going to be in business all the way until the end of the regular season. I can't answer a question about Wisconsin. I, when they, you say Wisconsin to me, I think about Frank Kaminsky. <laughs> I just I, I wake up in the middle of the night. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to deal with, man. Yeah, I don't. The Have MC you seen Frank that. since? Have you seen Frank since? Yeah, I've saw him playing. For He's the in Phoenix. No. Oh, right. That's right. That's right. Frank, and when I, and Frank I probably. You, he, had, he had a great game. He had one of the best games of his career the night I showed up. And that's that's the third time he's done that. All right. I, I got a question for both of you guys. Ready? Here, here's a good one. Who's your favorite referee? Each one of you. Who's your favorite ref? The guy that you love seeing when, he, when he, he'd do your games. Sean, start. Tony Padilla. I really like yeah. And I coached, uh, I forget how many it ended up being, Jeff, maybe 700 and some. I got thrown out of one game in my career. He's actually the guy that, that got me, and it, it, I deserved it. But I, the, what, what I love about him is he, you know, what you see is what you get. What did you say, Sean? What, 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 did you, what exactly did you it was, say to Tony It was Tony probably Padilla? more my demeanor. You know, it was just, it was probably not a one thing that was said. It was just a cumulative pounding effect that I gave the crew that night. I deserved it. 
Hey, Arch, before you answer the question, have you ever seen a coach sweat more than Sean Miller? <laughs> Gary Williams. Bruce Pearl. Gary Bruce Williams, Pearl. Bruce Pearl. Gary both, Williams both took it to a whole – Gary Williams took it to a pretty pretty good oh, level. Why did you wear white, though? When you sweat that much, aren't you supposed to wear a dark color? No, that makes it worse. Yeah. <laughs> when I was at my best, I wore a black or blue suit, didn't take my coat off and had a white shirt, and the tie kind of helped me. Anytime I tried to experiment, it was it was a definite disaster. But but Bruce Pearl and Gary Williams, let me tell you something right now. Like I'm there, I'm I might be in their neighborhood, but I don't know if I'm if I'm them. I don't, that one that one picture of you, that they got that one picture of you where you are. That night you I was look sick. like you just, yes, you look like you I just came sick. out of the shower. Yeah. yeah, I was sick that night. Arch, <laughs> your favorite ref, who is it? You know that that's hard. Sometimes I think how many? You, on, you don't like, like any of them. I mean, I, mean I, I like a lot of them. Honestly, my favorite guy when I saw him show up in a game was probably more from my playing days. I used to have a good time. It was Carl Hess. And I know he's a oh, yeah. very unpopular yeah. referee in some cases, but Carl Hess, boy, would he, he break you down if you were over there. It just, he would hit you right between the eyes every once in a while. But when I was a player, Carl Hess, I think he tried to help me out. I, I needed some help out there. You know what we got to do? Valentine, I got a soft spot for Ted Teddy Valentine. I'm going to get Teddy on with you. Next time, I'm going to see if Teddy can come on with us. We're going to try to get Teddy on with us. Yeah, All all he does is talks about the games that he helped us score points in when we were in college. (laughs) And all right, well, let's get to our, our, our three cheers. And that's the time of the night at the end of the night when we close out the show and Oh, nice. um, we each pick somebody or a team, or it can be anything. Um, I hope you have your, your drink there. I did not get a Miller light yet. Uh, I, I couldn't get out tonight to get a Miller light, but I will for the next time that we work together. Um, I'll let, uh, who wants to go first? You go first. All right. All right. I'm going to go first. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Bruce Weber in Kansas state. I, I feel bad for Bruce because he's had a tough go. He comes in with some pressure this year. And at the start, they've had a really good non-conference slate. And at the start of conference play, they get hit with COVID. And, and it's not just his players. It's his entire coaching staff. And it gets them off to a terrible start. And they've rebounded now. And they got a huge win tonight uh, in Austin against Texas. And maybe, again, listen, I, I feel like people forget what Bruce has done at Kansas State. And he's been pretty darn successful there. And as we talked about, one of the real good guys in college basketball coaching. So cheers totally to Bruce agree. Weber. Cheers. Yep. Mystery, mystery drink. Cheers. All right, Arch. What do they got? I'm going with the Akron Zips tonight. Akron Zips were down 10 with under two to play at home against Western Michigan. And they pull the game out, win by one point. Coach John Gross and his staff did an unbelievable job in the finish those last two minutes with their press, and uh, they had no business winning that game, but they did. So cheers to the Zips and Coach Gross. Yeah, right. cheers. Cheers. John Gross, the Zips. The Best Zips. Nickname. No, I'm going to stay in the family, and I'm going to go with, with John Gross's brother, Travis Steele. And here, here's why I'm going to go Travis Steele. They didn't even they play didn't, tonight. They didn't play what are you doing? But, you got to do somebody who played tonight, John. Come on. Oh, he's, he's always going off script Rose, at the end of the night. 
He's there gonna start no, to defend the Pac-12. There, there he's are getting no ready, rules. He's getting ready to come for the Oregon Ducks here if you don't Sean, get him off. There's the line. one rule, one damn rule. The guy's gotta have done something tonight. Okay. I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention, but I'll, I'm gonna give a shout out to Xavier. Uh, because I think Trav's doing a great job and yes. I think this is his best team. But okay, so on script with uh with tonight's game, um, how about Leonard Hamilton? I mean <laughs> Let's just think about how long he's been doing it. I saw uh, something about Arch wasn't Kobe. even born. Arch wasn't born when Leonard started uh, doing it. And I'm not kidding. Joe B. Hall, yeah. Joe B. Hall and the great success he had as Kentucky's coach. A lot of people remember Leonard Hamilton was his key assistant, recruited players like Sam Bowie. Let's think about how old, how how Sam long Bowie. ago the the sustainability the excellence and when you watch that game tonight you, you clearly know how long coach k's been at it but leonard hamilton has taken florida state from good to great and uh, i think that uh, a lot of people admire how long he's been doing it how well he's been doing it and quite frankly he might be at his very very best here at the end so cheers to leonard cheers to leonard and the mystery drink seminoles all right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Feel the 68s after dark. Uh, thanks for Sean Miller, Archie Miller. I'm Jeff Goodman. You can find us every single night. Twitter, YouTube. We're on Sirius now. Sirius XM, ESPNU, Channel 84, 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock every single night, Eastern time. Uh, thanks, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.